Would you join with me in prayer? So, Father, we stand before you. The only way any of us can, and that is through the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, and his shed blood on a cross. We stand not before you of any merit of our own, but only through the one who is perfect and lovely and beautiful and sinless and was pierced and died and rose again. And that is the only answer to the great why question. Lord, you know that this world is a hard place. That because of the product of the sin that entered the world at the fall and everything that has been put forward since then in death and destruction, there is pain and suffering and mourning. And so we ask why. And yet, and yet, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, we need look only into the face of Jesus and let all of that go to find soul rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. That is our prayer in this place this morning. Encourage us in your word. Comfort us in your love. Excite us in your spirit. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Please have a seat. Good morning. Good morning. It's really good to be with God's people. Music team, thank you guys so much. That was amazing. Um, as it is here every Sunday. We are, we are a blessed people. You know, on our eight weeks away, we attended six different churches or services, and, and it was uh, just a great reminder that we are a blessed people. I mean, God is doing awesome things throughout the valley, but um, we are a blessed, blessed people. And, and so I, I just wanted to say thank you again. Last week, Carrie and I both shared a little bit of our journey, um, and, and I'm sure more of that will come out as we um, get a chance to talk with you guys, but I just wanted to say thank you again for being such an amazing, gracious um, family. You are. You're our family. And you are a faithful and gifted church, and for that I say thanks. So we are on week two of a series we're calling The Songs of His Blessedness or the Psalms of the Beatitudes, and, and it was sort of tweaked my heart before I even went on our sabbatical and, and the elders, and we talked about it, and, and it was because of this truth that, I start, that I'm going to start with each week. The great tension in modern Christianity is our struggle between knowing we are supposed to live out Christ's commands, but ignoring what he taught in his Beatitudes. 
You know, we read the stuff, we went through the Gospel of John, and there's so much just sort of easy believism there in a sense because we all want that the he is the way, the truth, and the life. We all want the, that he loves us and that he loves on us. But when you start saying things like love your enemies, we go, eh, not so much, but okay, I'll work on that, Lord. Thank you so much for that. Or, you know, love God with your, all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm like, okay, God, I'll work on that too. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But then we start th- saying things like, but I want you to be poor and bankrupt, and I want you to be miserable, and I want you to be gentle and humble and meek and lowly, and I want you to suffer, and we start going, yeah, not so much, right? But that's the truth. The truth is we don't live the way the world would live. The world would have us live this way. I read these before. Ray Ortland, a pastor in Nashville, says this, says, said it this way, congratulations to the entitled. So these are the anti-beatitudes. Congratulations to the entitled, for they demand what they want. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall win. Congratulations to the greedy, for they shall hoard and hide. Congratulations to the vengeful, for they shall be feared. Congratulations to the deceitful, for they shall look good. Congratulations to the argumentative, for they shall get the last word. Congratulations to the popular, for this world lies at their feet. But guys, in Jesus' first public sermon, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, he tells us what current kingdom living is supposed to be like. And it's just exactly 180 degrees the opposite of that, of what I just read. Right? So last week we looked at, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we talked about how we need to be spiritually bankrupt in order to receive all of the riches that are ours in Christ. And today we're going to look at, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it is not coincidental that we've had some people in our body just this week go through some pretty serious mourning. We were at two different memorial services yesterday for Mark McCausland's mom and for Tom Sanda's mom. They have experienced mourning. Um, My sweet sister, Connie Mattingly, and her son Blake are here, and we know that it's been less than a year since they, um, in addition to other great loss in their family, she lost, we all lost, Brent... So I sit here and I look at this and I go, you know what, whose idea was it to have this be the series when you come back? Like, seriously. Like, the, the, the messages you're going to start with on your, on your journey back from your eight weeks of vacation are, hey guys, you're bankrupt and life hurts. Yay. Welcome back, Doug. Yeah, yay! <laughs> right? But guys, here's our hope and our prayer as a leadership team for us, for us individually and for us as a church, that we wouldn't just come to accept these beatitudes that Jesus said, but that we would come to embrace them. Not in some, like, like some, well, we just have to suffer for Jesus, but in a, in a sense of going, this is really where our joy is found. This is where grace lives. And because we are people of grace, we want to, to embrace these things. So why this title, The Songs of His Blessedness? Well, the Psalms are just soul songs. They were meant to be songs, so that's the, the psalms of his beatitude. So the songs and psalms, that, that word play is there. And then all that the word blessedness is, so when he says blessed are, the Greek word there doesn't mean joyful, really. In this sense, it means experiencing the full favor of God. So when he says blessed are those who mourn, you, those who are in mourning are experiencing the full favor, or they will experience the full favor of God. 
And where we get the word beatitudes is just that that's the Latin translation of the word blessedness. So today, we're going to look at what Christ's character is as we look at blessed are those who mourn. And it's in Psalm 42, which is the psalm that Jeff read as our invocation. And so if you want to turn there, you can. And we're going to ask this question. Might you need more mourning in your life? Might you need more mourning in your life? Kind of a strange question, I know, and, but hopefully you'll hang in there at the end and you'll, you'll get an answer that I, that I hope your heart says yes. Because mine sure did as I prepared this. Mourning takes many forms. Guys, all mourning, misery, suffering, those are all interchangeable words. I'll probably trip over them all this morning as I teach. But mourning takes many forms. And some of it is physical and emotional, and, that is, and, it's, and all of it is a product of the fall. There was no mourning prior to original sin. Prior to Satan deceiving, deceiving Adam and Eve in the garden, there was nothing to mourn. Nobody died. There was no pain. There were no thorns. There was no such thing as bougainvillea. There were no uh, satanic uh, mesquite trees. There was none of that stuff that we deal with every day, right? But mourning takes on spiritual form as well. But guys, mourning is, part of why we need to embrace mourning is it is there for a purpose. So I've invited, um, where is he, Erickson? Where are you at, Erickson Bailey? Erickson Bailey, come up here. So I have a little demonstration to show you. Mourning has a purpose in our lives. I want to make sure this baby's turned up. Hopefully we don't blow a circuit. Yeah, it's doing pretty good. We'll turn it up a little more because you're tough. So mourning has a purpose in our lives. And, and what it is there for is it is there to show us that one, sin has entered the world and sin has entered our life. Guys, people that have leprosy, they're part of why, like, and I know we don't deal with that in our culture anymore, praise the Lord, but part of why their skin would fall off, it, 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 leprosy is a nerve disease. It would cause them to lose feeling. So they would damage their skin, they would damage their extremities, and it would die and fall off because they couldn't feel it. Right? And so what we tend to do, so, so this thing is hot, so, so be careful. So you might want to lick your finger first. So touch that. Is it hot? You probably couldn't hear Do it again. Lick your finger. Come on, lick your finger. I don't know if you could hear the sizzle, but there's a sizzle there. But here's the thing, guys. When th so it's there. It's, it's, God, God gave us those nerves to touch, the, like to feel the pain on purpose. Misery and suffering are the same, even if it's emotional, are the same way. It's, it's to give us a feeling of there's something there we're trying to avoid. Here's the problem in our culture. When something hurts, we tend to hide from it. Right? When something is going to cause us misery in our culture, what do we do? We medicate it. Right, so here's what we do. We medicate it. We take, so put that on your left hand there because it's a left-handed glove. And we tend to mask the pain that we're feeling in unhealthy ways. So go ahead and put your finger on there as long as you can without it like, you know. Is it getting warm? Maybe I need to turn it up more. <laughs> it's starting to get warm. So you wouldn't want to leave your hand on there forever, right? Because eventually, our medication wears off. And guys, that medication can take many forms. That medication can be stepping away from people's lives because people are messy, right? And they are, and you people annoy me, and I annoy you, and it's all part of so Some of what happens is we step away from, from relationships, and that's part of our self-medication. Some of that self-medication is stuff like entertainment. We, we, we get lost on Facebook and Twitter. We binge watch. Because binge watching is a new thing, right? We binge watch things like Netflix. We have ESPN on in our home all the time because we're escaping from our own self, 
right? We, if there are, and because we're kid-friendly here, I won't go into, but there's, we, we spend time looking at stuff on the internet. That, that whole world out there is an escape from reality. It is self-medication, and it is destroying the church. And you guys know what I'm talking about, and if you don't, that's a good thing. Right? But we tend to continually self-medicate. The problem is the medication wears off, so we take more medication. So shove that glove into that glove until we get to a place where, where we can function without the pain, without the suffering. So stick your hand on there. So as I'm sitting here right now, he's, he's going, you know what, do, do you even feel the heat yet? Not really. I want to blow the steam just to see what happens. But I won't. Because um, I did that once. I was trying to iron my shirt. And I do that. That's not good when it was on me. And uh, that's not a good thing. Yeah, steam. And that is not a good thing. But you see how long. But here's, here's the problem. Okay, so you guys get the general idea. So I'm going to turn this. Keep that on. So here's the problem. Hold your hand up. We, we lost Eric. If, if Erickson is just his hand, we lost Erickson in the midst of all of that medication. And... More importantly, honestly, than losing ourselves. You can take that stuff off now, and thank you very much. Give him a hand for not killing himself. It's okay. You, and, and in the midst of all of that self-medicating, not only have we lost ourselves, but we have lost, God is losing a tool to, to teach us something. Because, guys, none of our tears are wasted on God. He says he counts all of them in his body. He collects them all. Not a single tear you ever shed for any reason is wasted on the grace of God. But because we hide from those things and we run from those things, he is like an artist who is trying to mold us and sculpt us into the image of his son who, by the way, suffered greatly, not just on the cross. And he's trying to mold us into the image of this beautiful image of his son and we keep taking his tools away. Because we medicate ourselves. We need to embrace the pain for what it is. It is God's way of showing us something. But guys, there is, there is mourning over pain, physical pain, suffering, emotional pain, and that is real. The mourning Jesus is talking about here in Blessed Are Those Who Mourn is more likely, not, not, not to, it's, it could very well have been physical and emotional pain, but it's also spiritual pain. It is the mourning over the conviction that you feel from the Holy Spirit over your sin. It, it is directly connected to that idea that we talked about last week about being poor in spirit. Jerry Bridges, an author who went to be with the Lord fairly recently, says this, we will never see the seriousness of our sin and mourn over it until we see that it is against God. Because our sin, we saw this last week in Psalm 51. David has, commits adultery with Bathsheba, has her husband murdered, lies about it to everybody. There's three right there. And when he gets on his face before the Lord after he's confronted about it, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Because he realized my sin is against the Lord and the Lord alone. The problem is we, we are, it's much easier for us to turn that outward towards all the problems in our culture. In, in his book called Respectable Sins, and some of you guys have done this. We've, we used it in some of our life groups that we did a couple summers ago, and in Young Adults, we did it um, uh, a couple of different times. Jerry, he says this, a pastor invited a man in his church to join him in a prayer meeting, the men of his church to join him in a prayer meeting. Rather than praying about the spiritual needs of the church, as he expected, all the men without exception prayed about the sins of the culture, 
primarily abortion and homosexuality. Finally, the pastor, dismayed over the apparent self-righteousness of the men, closed the meeting and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He goes on to say, We are incensed, and rightly so, when a major denomination ordains a practicing homosexual as a bishop. So he's saying, guys, I get that the sin out there in the world is not good, and should mourn, we should grieve over that. He says, but why do we also not mourn over our selfishness, our critical spirit, our own impatience, our anger? It is easy for us to let ourselves off the hook by saying these sins are not as bad as the flagrant ones of society, but God has not given us the authority to establish values for different sins. He did not intend to. And then pretty much the rest of this book are short chapters on all kinds of sins that we all struggle with and accept in our lives. Anger, jealousy, gossip, that we tend to, in the church, go, you know, because guys, the church is not immune to this problem of, of medicating our sin and of justifying it. And guys, our church, Cornerstone, is not immune to this problem either. Write this down if you're a note taker. If mourning... Mourning, not good morning, but mourning with a U. If mourning has lost its meaning, it is because sin has lost its magnitude and grace has lost its message. If, if you have lost the meaning of why we mourn, of why you go through suffering, it is because sin has lost the sin in the world, sin in your life has lost its magnitude, and, unfor- and here's the byproduct, and this is the, this is the why we've got to embrace mourning, because then we get no grace. Grace has lost its message if we do not embrace our suffering, our mourning. So today's question, might you need more mourning, really means do we embr- should we be- do better at embracing our sadness? A few weeks ago, we were house-sitting for a friend of ours up in Vistancia, and they had Netflix. We did not binge watch. However, we did watch a movie that we'd seen before. It was called Inside Out. It's by Pixar. It came out about four years ago, and it's all about this young girl, Riley, and, and, the, and the emotions in her head, and there's a lot of really deep stuff in there. Man, I don't know how kids watched that movie and got anything out of it, but because there's a lot of stuff there. But it's anger, disgust, joy, fear, and sadness. And most of the movie is about how the other emotions are trying to push sadness out of the way. But what they come to realize at the end is she needed sadness in her life in order to truly be alive. God knows that about us. That's why we experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit as believers in Jesus. So, today's question is, might you need more mourning in your life? We're going to look at Psalm 42 because the psalmist gives us two questions we need to ask. Because how do we know if we need more mourning? We ask two questions and he gives us one answer. So let's take a look at it. We're going to pick it up. Psalm 42 starting in verse 1. It says, as the deer pants for the water's brook, my soul pants for you, O God. When my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? The psalmist is saying here, our first point, does God feel, does it feel like God is gone? Are there time, is there a time in your life right now, have there been times in your life where you feel like God is just gone? You're looking around going, I don't know where you went. It's a heart that feels distant to God. Guys, this is where the cross comes in. 
This is where we have, when we have those moments, and, and, as, and as believers in Jesus, I, I have had many of those moments where I feel like God is gone. I have to embrace the truth of the cross. I have to look and go, Jesus, God, God is no further than he ever was on that hill called Calvary where he died for my sins. Right? It's, it's, I've got to stop. I have to stop em, embracing the guilt that I feel about my sin and, and start embracing the grace that God has given me. I have to stop living in condemnation and just live in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace, said this, I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Guys, remember what I said last week. We are always harder on ourselves than God is. We are always harder on If you're a believer in Jesus, now, if you're not a regenerate person, I promise you God is harder on you. But once the grace of God has been applied to your life and he has driven you to that place where you have no place else to go but to look up to him and go, Jesus is Lord. You, from that point on, you are always harder on yourself than God is. So give yourself a little grace. But guys, it is true that sin separates us. In Colossians, Paul put it this way. He's talking to the, the, the church. He's talking to believers. He says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And he goes on in, in, his, in his letter to the church of the Ephesians, in his letter to the church of the, in Thessalonica, and he talks about how, guys, as believers, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The reason we, one of the reasons even as believers will feel like God has disappeared in our life is because if we have unrepentant, unconfessed, unrepentant sin in our life, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. I picture it like this. If, if, if in the picture in John 15 where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me, is this picture of us being connected to him like through, through the branch. Grieving the Holy Spirit would be us constricting that branch down. It's stopping the sap from flowing. This flow, the sap is the Holy Spirit. He's saying, guys, stop grieving the Holy Spirit because that's why I feel absent. I haven't gone anywhere. But the truth is, he still is right where he always was. But we have medicated ourselves into not feeling him anymore. Paul goes on, the very next verse where he talks about you were separated for God with this promise. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. Guys, get that. Don't just read over that. He has reconciled. The cross bridges the gap from our sinfulness and God's holiness. And the cross is what bridges that gap. And then he says, as a result, now get this, he wrote this on purpose in the present tense. He's not talking about someday when you get to heaven. He's talking to each of us right now, where you sit, regardless of what you did this morning, regardless of what you did Friday night, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, here's how he sees you. As a result of, him bring, of, of the cross, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single thought, fault. Guys, that's a present-day promise. That's how God sees us, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Write this down. Commit it to your soul. The cross 
and not your conduct is the bridge that brings us back to connection with Christ. It is the cross and the cross alone, not your conduct, that bridges the gap. And anything other than that is not the gospel. And I don't live in that grace nearly enough. Guys, think about it. When are the times that you've grown the most spiritually? Like, we all love those mountaintop experiences. I love them too. I love being together with God's people and having a sweet time of joy and and, and being with the Lord and just having those moments. But guys, that's not where we grow. That's where we're encouraged. That's where we maybe come down and we're smiling and we're full of joy. But where we grow is in the pit. Where we grow is in the valley. And that's why he orchestrates those times. It's where I was. I've shared this story before, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but 15 plus years ago, I'd been a believer for about 10 years. I was in a very dark place physically in a lot of pain and mourning over that. Put me in a, in a dark place emotionally. I was, clini- I was probably clinically depressed. Put me in a dark place spiritually. I remember, ask- I remember being on my bed, sitting on my bed crying, just, which I know that isn't a shock, but crying, going, God, what happened? Where, where are you? What, where did I go wrong? When did I go left when I was supposed to go right? Because I'll go back. And I went downstairs and I opened up my, the Bible and he had me open it up to Psalm, and I'm skipping a lot of the story and that's okay, and I opened it up to Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my groanings are the words of your deliverance. I cry by day, but you don't answer. I cry by night and I have no rest. And then verse three, yet... You are holy. And I remember sitting there reading my Bible like this and the word yet coming out of the page and me moving my head. Because he was like, Doug, you have got to get your eyes off of your whys and get them focused onto my yets. You have got to, I, I, I get asking the agonizing why questions. Why did Tom's mom have to go so soon? Why did Mark's mom have to die so soon? Why did God take Brent? I'm still asking God that one. And then I have to go, yet you are holy. Yet in you our fathers trusted and you delivered them, God. He promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. So the first question is that the psalmist asks is, does it feel like God is gone? Here's the next question. Do you miss the taste of grace? Maybe you've self-medicated so much that, you have, you, that grace is coming at you and you're not even seeing it. I don't remember where I read this, so I can't give him credit. It wasn't me, but listen to this. It says, when in despair, lonely, longing, mourning, we can thank to be God to be gone. But we are the ones who have lost focus. The burden of suffering seems a tombstone hung around our necks, while in reality it is only the weight which is necessary to keep down the diver while he is hunting for the pearls of God's promise. God has purpose in your mourning. God has purpose in your suffering. I don't know what it is. He does. Let's look at verse 4. It says, but these things I remember, this is what the psalmist is saying, I, I, I've, I've lost grace. I feel like I've lost the taste of grace. 
These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along in the throng and lead them in the procession of the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. So he's like, I used to love the sweet fellowship. I used to love that, that grace I saw in the relationships I was in. And then he gives this little refrain that he ends with, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I again will praise him for the help of his presence. But then he slips right back and he says, Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon and the Mount of Mizar. He's basically saying, guys, in those verses, I miss you, Lord. I miss you. Where did you go? What did I do? Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus said, for they shall be comforted. Guys, do you see it? Do you see it? That we want the comfort of God. How does Jesus tell us we get the comfort of God? Through mourning. It's not, blessed are those who are comfortable, for they shall be comforted. That would make no sense. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but he, makes us com- he comforts us to make us comforters. And you're going to read about that in your daily reading this week in 2 Corinthians Guys, the world's joy is a sad seduction that completely numbs us to the grace of God. The world's joy and what they're selling you is a sad seduction that numbs us to the grace of God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he was a 19th century preacher. He's quoted by almost every preacher on every Sunday, it seems like, because he was just a giant of the faith. By the way, he suffered from clinical depression. He was in a physical pain most of his life. He got what suffering is, and he said this, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. He's like, I have learned to embrace my suffering. Oh, that we might live in the light of his salvation instead of the weight of the world, guys. That we might live in the light burden of his salvation instead of the heavy burden of the world. Okay, so I said that there are two questions the psalmist asked. One, does it feel like God is gone? Two, have you lost the taste of grace? And he gives us one answer, and that's how we finish up. Then find your hope and help in him. Do you need more mourning in your life? Do the, are these things true in your life? Do you feel like maybe God is missing? Maybe he's pounding you because he's like, turn to me, turn to me, turn to me, turn to me, and you're ignoring him. Turn to me, turn to me, turn to me, turn to me, and you're medicating yourself. Turn to me, turn to me, turn to me, and you're doing everything but turning to the only one who has the answer. So the psalmist says in verse 7, Deep calls to deep, and the sound of the waterfall, and all the breakers of your waves have rolled over me. He's like, I am overwhelmed, God. Anybody feel that way? Right now, if you have experienced mourning, suffering, pain in your life, raise your hand. Okay, if there's a hand that's not up, you're lying. Right? So, no, keep them up. If you have seen God show up in the midst of that, keep your hand up. Otherwise, put it down. Guys, look around. Look around. We are not alone. This is part of the human condition because of the fall. And so is his grace because of the cross. He says, I will say to my rock, I love, I love how, well, I'm sorry, I skipped something. I'm, verse 8. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and his song will be with me in the night. 
I pray to the God of my life. And I love this. Look at that verse 9. I will say to God, my rock. So he's saying, I know who God is. He is my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Interesting, isn't it? That's part of the Christian condition too. Because it doesn't make you unsaved. It just makes you human. Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why in despair, O my soul? And why have you become so disturbed within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Guys, we're done in the psalm. Turn to 2 Corinthians. You're going to go all, you're going to start cranking to the right of your Bible. You're going to get past the Gospels, past the large book of Acts. We're going to 2 Corinthians, past the big book of Romans, past 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to kind of finish up with this. Guys, when the world and the enemy wants us to look everywhere but Jesus Christ, we have to keep looking up. We have to keep looking up. So this is the Apostle Paul. I'm going to start in verse 7. He says, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, so he was, t- he was given a glimpse of heaven, and a, by the way, used mightily by the Lord in so many ways, so to keep him from being prideful. It says, To keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now guys, I want to stop there because there's a lot of, I don't have a lot of time, but there's a lot of discussion about what is this thorn in the flesh. It doesn't really matter. Some people think it was physical. It was, you know, maybe he had irritable bowel syndrome or something. Maybe he had a weepy eye because they said he wasn't much to look at. It doesn't really matter. But it was from, here's what matters. It was from, it was, ultimately it came to him, filtered through the Heavenly Father by Satan. And it was a real, not just physical pain, but an emotional mourning time. How do we know that? Because when he says, a messenger from Satan to torment me. That word messenger there is the word angelos. Translated everywhere in scripture, what? Angels. Or, in this particular case, because it was from Satan, a demon. This is a, it is never translated physical ailment. It is always translated an entity. Either an angel, a demon, some kind of human messenger. It is always a person. Paul is saying, guys, God sent a demon to mess with me. Why? Why would you do that? He's the Apostle Paul. He's planted more churches than anybody. He's seen people get saved. The gospel is going everywhere. Well, Paul tells you, one, to keep me lowly and humble and dependent on him. And two, to keep him drinking deeply from the fountain of living water called the grace of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times, may it leave me. Guys, who does that sound like? If this, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Three times, Jesus said it. He's like, Lord, I take this, send this demon to hell. And we should pray that in the name of Jesus Christ, often. But look at what, his answer is. Look at what Jesus answers him back. My grace is sufficient for you. 
for my power is perfected in your weakness, Paul. He's saying, I am orchestrating this event in your life to keep you humble and keep you, and keep you dependent on me and to, let you rem- and to remind you of what grace feels like. Guys, we don't get to feel the grace of God unless there is mourning and pain and suffering in your life. You can pray for just a happy-go-lucky life and you will end up a lazy Christian. It is just who we are. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Guys, God does not play hide-and-seek with us. He's not out there going, I hope you can find me right now in this moment. If you're not his, he is showing up for you in this moment, in this place. If you are his, but he has felt distant or you have lost the sweet taste of his grace, he is showing up for you. The prophet Jeremiah says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. As the music team comes up and the lights go down, I'm going to ask you to listen to, your, to the spirit speaking to you. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of spirit. And you will find rest for your souls. Guys, what he is offering all of us today, in the midst of our mourning, in the midst of our suffering, whether it's what you're going through now or what you'll be going through tomorrow or in the future, is soul rest. And he says that those who come to me, I will not cast out. Because he is not a savior that stands at arm length and says, you need to prove it to me. He says, come. Do we believe the truth of Romans 8.28? Do we believe the truth of the promise of Romans 8.28? For God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do we believe that? Guys, the only reason, we, the only time way we can believe that is in, sorry, is in light of the truth of the rest of the passage. That passage is about suffering. It is about all of creation groans for his return. It is about future exaltation for those he foreknew, he predestined. For those he predestined, he called. For those he called, he is going to glorify. Sandwiched in there for God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But that good isn't necessarily about today. We get so caught up in here and now. And guys, when you're in the midst of it, like that whole group back there, you're in the midst of loss and mourning and pain. And there are people, people in, I mean, you saw the hands go up. When you're in the midst of it, you just want relief today. I get it. Believe me, I get it. I struggle. Believe me, I struggle. But I would, be, I would beg you on behalf of God, turn to him. Don't turn to your Advil box first. Don't turn to Netflix first. Don't turn to the internet first. Or at all. Turn to him. Why in despair, O my soul, and why so downcast in me? Hope in God. Guys, here's the truth. Without suffering and pain, there is no grace. 
John Newton, who wrote the song Amazing Grace that we're about to sing, you know his story. He was a slave trader. You talk about a man who understood what grief and mourning and guilt felt like. But had he not embraced the pain he felt, we would never have the lyrics of the song. If you don't embrace the grief you feel, the mourning you experience, you will not experience the comfort of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't. If you need prayer, if, if right now the Holy Spirit is put upon your heart, you need to pray with somebody for whatever reason. There are two couples in the back that would love to pray for you before we go into communion. Go to them. If you came with somebody who needs prayer, go with them. If the Lord, I look forward to this day. If right now in this moment the Holy Spirit has put somebody on your heart in this room that you need to go pray for, get up and do it. Do it. If what he's telling you to do is to sit and to sing and to soak, do it. And taste his grace. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for the truth that you are our great comforter. I thank you for the truth that nothing comes our way that is not filtered through you. I thank you for the truth that none of our sorrow or pain or suffering is an accident. It is all used by you. May we be a people that don't run from mourning, but embrace it. May we not run from the pain that is around us, but may we look to the one who is above us. May we run to the one who is before us. May we trust in the one that lives in us. And may we just taste your grace that you died to give us. In Jesus' name.